Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the seventh Sunday after Trinity, July 31st, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. can be found on page 1617 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in your truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Americans love war. Well, at least in a rhetorical sense. In the Christian right, we have the war on Christmas a campaign against those who have systematically tried to remove any mention of Jesus during the holiday season. In fact, to some people, if you say happy holidays, you will offend them. On the secular left, you have the war on women, a campaign against those who are opposed to abortion, saying that removing a woman's right to choose is undermining her personal autonomy. And so, we are at hypothetical war with our ideological enemies. The question before us this morning is what about someone who makes war with God? Not a war on God, but war with God. Now I would suggest that the jealous brother and the rich fool from our gospel lesson this morning are doing just that. They rage rhetorical war with God. And their problem this morning, and as we will see in Luke 12, is what happens when God shows up. So let's turn our eyes back to the gospel lesson this morning and see. The first step in their war with God is an assault on God's identity. Jesus responds to the jealous brother in the crowd by asking a rhetorical question. Man, who made you a judge or who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
Now, there are two implied answers to this question that we should recognize and acknowledge. The first is a direct answer. No one made Jesus arbitrator or judge over that man or anyone else because we don't get to put God in positions. Jesus was already judge over this man and his brother by virtue that he is God. He didn't need approval or recognition. But now the follow-up. Jesus, or this might seem trite or like it's special pleading, but it applies directly to our lives because we do this all the time. Jesus might be your savior, but is he your Lord? You see, the problem with that sort of notion is Jesus is already Lord because he's God. Jesus is already Lord because he's Savior. And we don't elect him to the position of Lord by recognizing him. Now, we may live as if Jesus isn't Lord, but that's to our own detriment, not to Jesus. Jesus identifies this man's tendency to want him to be something other than he is. Now for us, we especially want Jesus to be something that is situationally beneficial for us. This is the same sort of thing that happens when we treat Jesus as if he's our cosmic butler. We want Jesus to be around to fix things or give us what we want, when we want it, in the way we want it. And then we want him to stay out of sight and out of mind. This man, this jealous brother, was only looking to Jesus for his personal benefit. His conception of the Savior had nothing to do with faith. And so we move from the assault on God's identity to the assault on God's activity. In response to the brother's selfishness, Jesus tells us the parable of the rich fool. Now, what it amounts to is a wealthy man hoarding resources so he can live a comfortable and secure, lavish life. He's already so wealthy that he has nowhere to put the extra abundance he receives from yet another bumper crop. And in doing so, the rich fool in the parable denies God's goodness as our creator and as our provider. In essence, the rich fool denies God's activity in the first article of the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has created me and all that exists, that he has given and still preserves to me my body and soul, my eyes and ears and all my members, my reason and all the powers of my soul, together with food and clothing, home and family and all my property, that he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life, protects me from all danger and guards and keeps me from all evil, that he does this purely out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worth in me, for all of which I am in duty bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. Now consider the rich man's behavior in light of the explanation to the first article of the creed. We are, by God's word, commanded to believe 
that God is good and that he will provide for us continuously. The rich man in the parable said, "Mm, I don't think so. I think I better keep what I have and I better make space for more of it just in case. The man's hoarding of his abundance was a faithless response to God and his behavior. The rich fool was living as if he expected that God did not want to continue to give him good and necessary things in life. And because of this, he was not using his abundance to bless and serve his neighbors. He was using his abundance to bless and serve himself. Jesus prefaces the entire parable by saying, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The answer to the ninth and tenth commandments, thou shalt not covet, the answer to those two commandments is the first article of the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. If we are discontent with what God has given us, we are turned to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God who provides us with all good things. And what this means for us this morning is that the ultimate truth of the gospel lesson is that we should see that this is an assault on God's existence. In Jesus' parable, God himself makes an appearance. He shows up. And he says to the rich fool, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, I have believed for a long time that this is a direct reference to Psalm 14. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. The outcome of this parable is that God himself accuses the rich fool of being an atheist. And in the eyes of Scripture, and in the reality of the existence of God, there is no more foolish thing than to deceive ourselves into thinking God doesn't exist. Literally everything that is is intended by God to scream to us, to cry out to us that God exists. If we approach the world and everything in it with childlike curiosity, we will ask the question, why is there a tree? And the answer is God. The tree points to the existence of God. Why are there stars? Because God is there. Why anything in creation Because God. The reason that something exists instead of nothing is God. And God calls out the rich fool on his error. Everything the rich fool did, indicating he was living his life as if God did not exist. That's the problem presented to us this morning. God shows up. When the rich fool meets God face to face in his sin and in his unbelief, he's not even given a chance to respond or explain himself. The reality of God's existence at the end of the parable overwhelms his foolishness and his selfishness. 
And we ought to consider that there isn't a resolution to this parable. But we also ought to consider the point of the parable is that we are all rich fools. We continually try to put Jesus into a controllable place where we can use him for our own benefit and ignore him at our women fancy. On top of that, we are constantly trying to hoard the things of this world as if we're never ever going to be blessed with anything more. But most importantly, the outcome of our sinful nature is that we are all functional atheists. In sin, we are constantly acting as if God doesn't exist. Because when we sin, we act as if we are God. Or we act as if there's no punishment for sin. We deny that we are going to be held accountable for sin. We put ourselves in line with culture saying that what the Bible calls sinful isn't in fact sinful. But in the end, we all have the same problem as the rich fool. God shows up. And if we stand at the end of time in our own sin and in our own selfishness, God's existence will likewise overwhelm us. The Bible tells us when Jesus returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But for those who are left in unbelief and in sin that act will not be good news. And so God has a solution to our unbelief. He has a solution to our manipulative, sinful behavior. He has a solution to our selfishness. God shows up. He comes in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus means at the very end of the parable. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The answer to that, the fulfillment of that statement by Jesus, is Jesus himself. Now what is so tragic is that every time I've heard this passage preached in different locations, what is pointed to is not Jesus, but rather some sort of pious morality. Some sort of forced or prescribed generosity. Now, to be sure, that's not in and of itself a bad thing. God, in fact, does want us to be both pious and moral. But it's not our actions, it's not our behavior, and it's not even our sincerity that make us rich towards God. It's Jesus. It's our faith in Jesus given to us by the Holy Spirit as we hear the gospel. That makes us rich towards God. We are rich toward God when we, in faith, receive everything that God has to give us. Which means we are rich towards God because God showed up and died for our sins and forgives us and gives us eternity. This reality allows us to see and believe and embrace the goodness of God. It allows us to look at the circumstances in our life 
And even if you can think in this moment of something you lack, of something you need, of something that would make your life better, God's goodness and your richness towards God is revealed to us by Jesus on the cross in our place. That is always and ever what God thinks of us. And that is always and ever the evidence of his goodness. All of God's other goodness as he provides for us and sustains our lives flows from his one act of goodness when he sent his son to the cross in your place. If God is so generous with our salvation, we can expect him to be generous with our material needs. And in doing so, we can expect that when we pray, he hears us. And so our response to God's goodness is prayer. It's crying out to him for mercy and compassion. Is asking him for something when we are worried that we lack it. That is the exact opposite of our response and inclination to hoard the things that God gives us, to cling to them with clenched fists, to refuse to give them to our neighbor. Because the reality of Jesus Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is that right now, in this moment, no matter what your material circumstances might be, you have everything you need for life and salvation in Jesus Christ. And that reality allows you to take what God has given you and love your neighbor. That reality allows you to stop, to not manipulate Jesus for your own needs, but to recognize him for who he is, your Lord and your Savior. That reality allows you to stop and find comfort in the reality of your redemption. The call and promise to us by Jesus in the gospel does not leave us as rich fools. But rather, the call and promise of the gospel equips us to love our neighbor because it makes us to be saints. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.